Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Bare Necessities podcast. We're sorry for the slightly late upload, but we are nonetheless back at you guys this Thursday with another fantastic podcast, as always. So first off in today's podcast, we're going to be going over the news over the past couple of days, such as Matthew Stafford reporting a false positive and Michael Lombardi saying that the Bears have too much to lose by not starting Nick Foles. Then we're going to get into the bulk of the show, which includes why do people just hand Nick Foles the starting job over Trubisky? Why 24-7 Sports came out with an article saying that David Montgomery is primed for a breakout season, players the Chicago Bears should consider signing, and then finally we're going to wrap up the show with players the Chicago Bears should consider trading for. But before we get into the show, as always, we have a quick couple of updates. Follow us on Instagram at Chicago Bear Necessities, and then go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Link is in the description. We're doing a bunch of exclusive content on there, and it's just a great way for you guys to, you know, get more of your favorite podcast, uh, Bear Necessities podcast, of course. And one last thing, I'm sorry if the audio in this podcast isn't as pristine as normal. For some reason, the microphone I'm using has been having a major clipping issue, so there may be some slight bits of the podcast where it kind of just like skips slightly and I tried to edit it out as much as I could possibly um, but I just was not able to get everything with everything making sense but don't worry it's only a couple parts where that happens um, but I just wanted to apologize for that uh, for you guys so with that everyone sit back relax and enjoy the show hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the bear necessities podcast Reese it's uh We've been experiencing still a lot of growth on YouTube. It doesn't seem like we're really stopping by any regard there. Today, we had officially our first video to gross over a thousand views in 24 hours, which is, you know, pretty big, you know, landmark for us. We're coming close on 100 subscribers. We might actually hit that today. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited, man. I'm excited. Yeah, it's not going to be too long before we get our play button, right? You know, it's uh, <laughs> or whatever that is for like hitting like a million subs or something. So you know we'll be sharing that with y'all whenever we get that should be you know probably sometime this month but uh you know <laughs> yeah it's been uh, it's been awesome definitely been appreciating all of the support and uh you know i don't know it's definitely i think it's caught a little bit both of us by surprise you know we know that we have you know what it takes to do it but you know to get that kind of growth that we've gotten on youtube i think it took me back a little bit but in a great way yeah, we've only been posting there for a couple of weeks, but things with YouTube, it's just a lot easier to like discover new content than it is with podcasting specifically. And, you know, we've been doing podcasting for, you know, a couple of years, I feel like at this point. So um, it's kind of nice seeing a little bit of a quicker growth. And I'm kind of bummed out that we didn't start doing this YouTube thing earlier because we've been doing it for like three weeks. And now we have, what, almost 100 subscribers, just three weeks consistently. And that's it. And I feel like I'm getting better at really understanding not only what people want on YouTube, but also uh, just how to get people to click on it and everything like that, the whole algorithm system that they have there. So it's been really fun for us. And I know we talk about consistently how often or what we want to do with this podcast. We talk about it all the time, but we don't really get to share it with our audience that much. Or we we don't really, because I feel like we just talk about it by ourselves. And sometimes it like it doesn't we just don't re reiterate it on the podcast or anything but i know we really have uh have a ton of goals with this podcast we want to eventually incorporate some sort of video form and then we also in the future want to open up another um all of all nfl podcasts that we like we used to have with the truth football podcast which uh you know kind of crashed and burned for us but a lot of valuable lessons learned there 
Yeah, I mean, crashed and burned, you know, we'll do it better the second time, you know, and uh, I think our second attempt into it will be good. I mean, we've learned a lot from this podcast already, and we continue to learn. I mean, obviously, our journey isn't finished. It's only getting started here. So definitely excited for where this is going to take us and all the support that, you know, people have been getting us, whether it's listening to the podcast, watching the YouTube videos, or both, you know. Yeah, 100%. If you guys are a podcast listener, a uh, regular one, go ahead and check out our YouTube channel. We'd love if you subscribe to us there. Um, and just kind of, you know, it's it's also easier to uh, co- uh, keep in contact with people. You know, I, I respond to all the comments and um, it's just, it's a good way to also communicate with the audience. So if you want to, you know, talk with us or have a football conversation, or whatever, just comment on one of our videos and, you know, we'll respond. We, you know, obviously love having these football conversations. That's why we started the podcast to begin with. Um, and if you are a YouTube listener and you just arrived on this podcast, I mean, thank you so much. Uh, make sure to subscribe and if you can, leave us a rating and review in the bottom of Apple Podcasts. That helps us out tremendously. Um, just helps us grow and you know, eventually, I, I we've been very open and honest with this. In the future, we plan on doing some monetization on the podcast just so we can improve the overall product for you guys. You know, we have not made a single dollar on this podcast so far. In fact, we've definitely lost a ton of money doing it. I think probably at this point, we're well over 300 probably $400 um, into making this podcast without a single dollar uh, in return. But, you know, we just do this because we love it, but we also want to improve the content for you guys, get better microphones, get camera equipment. And with a college budget, we just can't really, you know, do that. So, I mean, might as well be open and honest with you guys. That's what we're going to do with it. We're just going to try to improve. Anytime we do any monetization, it's going to be going towards improving the podcast for you guys, making new podcasts, expanding. I know we have big dreams of, you know, opening our own media company. We've already started the plans of doing that um, and also expanding into other sports like baseball, you know, hockey, everything in Chicago. And we, I don't believe, pay attention to those sports as much as we uh, enough to make a podcast about it, but we definitely have people that we're going to find that we trust with holding up our name and our brand and everything like that. So just in the end, you know, some quick updates. We we are looking forward to a really bright and open future and, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty crazy for us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, like you said about, you know, we don't follow those other sports enough and it's simply because we just don't have time, you know, we're uh, so busy following the bears and, all the content we need to provide to y'all that uh, sometimes you just lose. Uh, you don't really have the option to pay attention. You can pay attention to a few things, mm-hmm. other things here and there outside the Bears, but you really really have to limit yourself. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't mention this, but I haven't watched a single NBA game so far. So <laughs> uh, definitely not qualified to be speaking on any sort of NBA content, e- even though the Bears aren't currently in the bubble or whatever. It's just I'm not qualified. I don't think you're qualified either, Reese. I'm sorry to let you know that, but we, we'd yeah, rather get people fine. who we who we trust and we we think that they you know we believe in their content as well to do that. But let's go ahead and move on. I know we just rambled on for five minutes, and thank you for listening to that. Okay, so let's get into the news over the past couple of days. I know we talked about this becoming a more weekly segment. Um, just so that we can actually stay up to date on all the latest news. And NFL season's finally rolling around, so we actually have some news. So that's a positive. But Matthew Stafford, he reported a false positive on his COVID-19 test, which ultimately led him being put on the COVID-19 reserve list. We talked about that last week. But the reason why I kind of wanted to bring it up is 
it's going to be really weird in the NFL for when players get put on this COVID-19 reserve list. We're going to have to question for a couple of days whether or not this was a false positive, if they actually have it. And teams are going to have to worry that, hey, we might have a COVID outbreak. And just to, just to be honest here, um, the tests that they're doing in the NFL, they're not the most reliable testing method. The most reliable testing method takes a day to actually you know, get the results. And that's uh, like 100%. Po- that's one that is almost close to 100% accurate. Whereas the common one and the one that a lot of people do that gives you the instant result almost, it actually is only about 80% effective. So we're looking at about 20% of NFL tests potentially giving a false positive or a false negative. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of scary. Yeah, and I, I get that they want the you know rapid response, right? And especially in something that's gonna be so day to day, I assume they're gonna be testing you know so often, you know, whether that be before games, you know, before like certain practices, before certain media things, you know. I don't know exactly what their protocol is gonna be, but they're gonna be testing quite frequently. So I get the need for an instant response. But like you said, you know, the impact of a false positive or a false negative, I mean, I guess the false positive is more of a harmless one. But a false negative, of course, that could have huge consequences as far as someone going out there that could be, you know, infected, possibly, you know, giving it to teammates, other other people on other teams, coaches, staff, all that. And, but, you know, in Matthew Stafford's case, right, they, you know, they lost their quarterback for a, for a couple of days, and of course, he's someone who's a veteran, so you know, missing a couple of days of camp isn't the end of the world. But at the same time, right, it might force a team to undergo certain precautions they don't necessarily need to go to. So I guess I don't fully understand why the NFL. You know, I do understand why they need the instant feedback, but at the same time, it's just NFL. You'd figure they'd do the most, like the best, the most precise thing they could instead of kind of just the second-rate thing. But yeah, I, don't know. I guess it's something I live with. And one thing that I did hear, though, is that to help kind of go through the process of um, like players getting, you know, false negatives, what they're doing is that you have to pass four COVID tests before entering the building. And when you think about that, it heavily increases getting a false negative as well. So or a false positive, excuse me. So we're probably a lot of players cycled on and off these COVID-19 reserve lists without actually, you know, have COVID-19 and my question with that then next is are there going to be like how often are teams going to start quarantining with because of a false positive test you know yeah I mean so with with Stafford also sorry to cut you off real quick Stafford what ended up happening is that the first three came back negative and the last one came back positive so yeah it's it's tough and we're just gonna have to wait and see you know that's just the way it's gonna be I mean and that kind of just proves, right, just how the 80%, you know, preciseness, I don't know exactly what you want to call it, what the proper word for that is. The fact that it's like right 80% of the time, that kind of just shows you where he, right, he had three where it gave him the actual result where he was negative. And then the one gave him a false blip. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah, what happens if this happens on, yeah. you know, a, a game day, you know, and, and, you know, next thing you know, you have someone gets a false positive. Let's say a couple players get a false positive. They might think that there's way more of a chance of outbreak on happening. And then do you cancel the game right there? And then, you know, what goes on? I mean, so that's why I just, you know, we talked about this before in prior podcasts. I really hope that the, the NFL has a, a very clear structure, especially when it comes to the regular season of how they want things to take shape. And, you know, I know this 
COVID-19 reserve list will will exist for the duration of the season, I'm sure. I'm more happy with five players on the team not playing every single game than us not having football because of a COVID-19 outbreak. So, I mean, ultimately that... It's a it's a net positive, but it's going to be thing that's going to you know kind of annoy fans. I feel like for the entire year. But let's, enough talking about Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions. I mean, geez, Michael Lombardi. I don't know if we've really talked about him too much on this podcast, Reese, but kind of a notable Bears hater, Trubisky hater. Um, someone who worked as a GM for the Browns for yeah. one year and has kind of gotten a lot of you know clout from that. He came out and he said that the Bears have too much to lose by not starting Nick Foles. And that was his big statement. So statement, it was headlined everywhere. And again, he is kind of a Trubisky hater. I used to listen to one of his podcasts. He was on the Inger NFL podcast, I believe, a while. Or he would at least show up on the show and he would talk. And he right. always had really negative views on Trubisky. And I'm going to be honest with you. It didn't make sense some of the things that he would say about Trubisky. And it, it made me kind of think that he wasn't really watching him or didn't really have, you know, a stance to formulate an opinion on as much as he'd like other people to perceive he did. Um, but not to, you know, slam his credibility because every argument is valid here, especially. I get what he's saying, but he is also the man who drafted Barkevius Mingo for the Browns, current Bears edge rusher. And he was kind of a, you know, he, he wasn't that good of a GM, Barkevius Mingo, obviously one of the top bus in the NFL, someone who uh, was drafted extremely high. I think he was like the third overall pick or sixth overall pick, somewhere up there. Um, And he's kind of, with Michael Lombardi at least, he's kind of really built a lot of his credibility off of just people he's worked with, which are like Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick. Um, He obviously has a much more extensive NFL resume than myself or you, Reese. (laughs) That being said, um, I don't know if... I buy that the Bears have too much to lose by not starting Nick Foles. I would argue that it's the opposite. I think that if Nick Foles wins it out, the Bears, you know, I think that if Trubisky wins, the Bears are going to kind of look a little bit stupid um, for bringing in Nick Foles. I mean, they traded a fourth round pick for him. They gave him, you know, a decent amount of salary cap. And he's on a decent contract with us. He's not going anywhere for the next couple of years. Ultimately, I think that Ryan Pace would much rather start Trubisky than Nick Foles. Yeah, I think that, you know, I agree with you. I mean, what the Bears have to lose most by starting Trubisky over Foles or not starting Foles and to to word it a different way is games. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, that's the worst thing they could lose is some games and, you know, honestly, I mean, you and I have been calling for the Bears to draft a quarterback that only helps our case in that instance, you know. I'm not saying the Bears should mm-hmm. go out here and tank. I think they have a much, uh, you know, their roster is too good to go out there and do that. That being said, the question, biggest question mark is still at the quarterback position and will be until we really see something to prove it. But we know what Nick Foles is, you know. We've seen what he has been for the majority of his career. Obviously, he went out there and won a Super Bowl. But at the same time, he's never someone that's had amazing success being you know a starting quarterback i mean he did well with his first Mm -hmm. stint in philly under chip kelly i believe um or maybe even andy reed was still the coach at that point i don't know it It was was andy way early yeah way early on i mean i mean he did well he had a really low he had a great touchdown interception ratio but then you know since then we pretty much know what nick Foles is 
And, you know, the only person we really kind of still need to learn more about is Trubisky because we've seen him play really good in flashes and we've seen him, you know, struggle at times. And, you know, if we take 2018 compared to 2019, it almost seems like you're watching two different people play. So, you know, if the Bears are able to tighten up, give him a better offensive line, you might as well throw Trubisky out there, see how he can manage. And I think... Foles serves as a good backstop. I mean, if Trubisky doesn't play well, then then you put Foles in there in a couple weeks' time. But I don't know. I don't. I don't agree with that statement at all. At this point, I kind of think that it's about a fifty-fifty likelihood as to who's going to start for starting QB for us, because I see all the reasons why they would want to start Trubisky, but I also see all the reasons why they would want to start Nick Foles. I mean, you look at the coaching staff, it's like pretty much tailor-made for Nick Foles. Like every single person from the top down has experience with him. Um, He knows the system extremely well. I could see it go either way. If Trubisky does become the backup, I think Ryan Pace has the most... I'm going to be honest. If we want to look at the Bears, there's different... You know, there's kind of a different... um, There's like a split in what's better for the GM and the head coach. You know, kind of a principal agent problem, if you will, um, for for anyone that's uh, kind of into business stuff. But essentially, for Ryan Pace, I feel like the best thing would be for Mitchell Trubisky to win that starting job. But for uh, Matt Nagy, I believe the best thing for him is for Nick Foles to win that starting job because then we'll be able to see how Matt Nagy how Matt Nagy's system is enacted fully when the quarterback has experience with it. You know, when the quarterback is, you know, at least an okay quarterback, it's really going to tell about Matt Nagy. Whereas Trubisky says a lot more, you know, Ryan Pace. And maybe if Trubisky isn't performing well, Ryan Pace can kind of, or Matt Nagy can kind of scapegoat through that. And maybe, um, Ryan Pace, he he couldn't, you know what I'm saying? So there's there's a little bit of uh, some issues regarding what's best for each, you know, the head coach and the GM. But luckily, it seems like Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, they always talk about how they're not ego guys and they're not going to let what's best for them impact the team. So I don't foresee that causing any sort of rift between the organization. Um, and ultimately, I think that it's, it's really hard to say. I'm I'm leaning towards Trubisky right now, and I think you are too, Reese. Yes, I, I've been leaning Trubisky, and I, I feel pretty strongly, actually, that it'll be Trubisky at this point. Um, you bring up a great point, though. I, you know, I feel like Nagy, and they may say to the media, they may say that you know they're not ego guys, but in reality, you know, it's just a human thing to kind of look out for your own, you know, your own job per se. So I'm sure you know Pace in the back of his mind is really pulling for. Trubisky and he may not want to make that public or really make that obvious but you know I'm sure he has his stake with Trubisky and you know Nagy wants probably Foles because it's the more the sure thing Um, like you said he can fully put his offense into use so I'm sure he feels that way too in reality you know now who haven't we talked about I mean of course we haven't talked about all the assistant coaches and them and all that we haven't talked about the players though and who the players want and it's been it's been interesting to watch that over the course of offseason you know i think like Tariq cohen has showed up like the likes of Tariq cohen has showed up on like first take you know i feel like uh alan robinson has done plenty of interviews you know there's been quite a few bears players been asked the question you know because it's the obvious it's the big question sitting out there because like do you trust trubisky to be your quarterback do you think trubisky will be starting and it seems like, at least you know, to the media, a lot of the players have hope with Trubisky. 
you know, it wasn't too long ago. I know that, you know, Trubisky was throwing passes around to uh, Anthony Miller. You know, it's, I feel like the players are just more used to Trubisky in a way and almost have a little bit more comfort with him. Now, that could be totally off base. That could be totally wrong. And that could be change. That could change over the course of training camp for sure. You know, I mean, Nick Foles could get some solid reps out there with the guys, and you know, the players change their minds. But I feel like almost too, I think around the team really kind of wants to see Mitch. You know, giving another shot. I think they believe in him. So it's just a matter of Mitchell Trubisky proving him right. And I think that Trubisky might have a little bit of an unfair advantage over Nick Foles when it comes to what the players want because he has been with the players. And if you have watched Mitch Trubisky's press conferences and everything, he's a very likable person. He's a very likable quarterback. He puts a lot on himself and it's really hard not to root for him as an individual. Cause he's a really hardworking person. You know, he's, he's, it seems like he really, really wants this thing to work out. And I think the players probably see that in the locker room and they really appreciate it. And players really haven't been able to, you know, know Nick Foles, get to know him, see how he is. They haven't really had any experience. So maybe that's coming from. But also on the other hand of it, if the players really thought that Mitchell Trubisky, especially like, you know, Tariq Cohen or Allen Robinson or whatever, or, you know, Ted Ginn Jr., if they really thought that Allen Ro- or Mitchell Trubisky was that bad of a quarterback, they would probably want just some sort of change there because of the whole their production, you know, revolves around him. The team winning revolves around him in a way. So it's it's a sticky situation, and it's going to be one that's really interesting to watch as a Bears fan. It seems like a lot of people, as soon as we dra- we went for uh, Nick Foles, they were extremely interested in just handing him over the job. And that's actually the next topic we're going to get into. So why do people just hand Nick Foles the starting job, right? And my own personal opinion on this, I don't, you know, Trubisky, he's he's definitely performed not as well as we would have wanted to, but I think that people specifically like to target Trubisky because they like to believe that Trubisky is the sole reason for the Bears' issues in offensive production last year, which just isn't the case. And I think that anyone who really look at realize and, you know, watches a lot of football, they realize that, yes, the quarterback is the most important position, but... I mean, look at solid quarterbacks like Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford, right? They're they're two they're two quarterbacks who are you know decent quarterbacks, better than Trubisky at the moment. But they also have had a lot of crappy teams around them, and thus it's really limited some of their production. Um, and I definitely think that Nick Foles has a higher floor than Trubisky. But if we're talking about like looking for a player that will really change our team, that is solely in the hands of Trubisky. Trubisky taking a step up is by far the most important thing that could happen to this Bears team and the number one thing that could actually lead us to winning a Super Bowl, right? Trubisky just having a breakout season is the one thing that could the Bears could really ride the wave on, right? The entire team, the entire team is ready for a quarterback like that. And you know, say yeah. what you want about Trubisky. And I know, Reese, you and I, we've been extremely critical of him this entire offseason. Last offseason, we were more appreciative of him. We were even saying that he's, you know, a little bit underrated um, by a lot of people and that he should be considered, you know, I think we said like a top 15 quarterback, which, you know, <laughs> looking back at that, that's a really bad take. Um, but yeah. in the moment, he looked like he was primed to break out. He had a good season. But here, I'll, t- I'll tell you these two things about Trubisky. There's two things that people kind of 
don't really know about him. One, he's not as bad as the national media makes him out to be. I mean, if you talk about why they do it too, it's kind of to prove, I feel like it's kind of to prove themselves right. Like everyone, when they saw the Bears trade up for Mitchell Trubisky, they instantly were betting on him, you know, performing horribly and they wanted him to perform horribly. And if you also look at the Mahomes storyline and the fact that they skipped out on Mahomes and Watson, it just kind of enhances that storyline the worst that Trubisky is. So it's definitely beneficial for, you know, people in national media to kind of hate on Trubisky and try to, you know, prop themselves up and everything like that. And the, the second thing though, is that Trubisky has an extremely high ceiling, right? As far as like a traits perspective goes, he's got all of them when he's on. And when he's on and when he's, you know, reading defenses as well and everything, he is very accurate. Okay. He is extremely mobile. He has a really good arm. You know, he's got everything. He's can make the fast decisions. He has different type of ball trajectories that he's able to, you know, use. He can manipulate safeties with his eyes when he's on, especially when he faces man coverage. I mean, you just, I mean, just look at the Detroit Lions games. Look at games against teams who, who use primarily man coverage. He's been stellar against them. It's the zone coverage. It's this tricky defensive coordinators that really make him fold. So if he could just change that mental aspect of his play and get more consistent with his mechanics and just improve in like these areas that are very improvable, like very improvable, then he could be a damn good quarterback. Yeah. I mean, as far as the national media criticism goes, you know, and, you know, people automatically assuming that Nick Foles will get the job. It's because, you know, people like to rip on the, on the Chicago bears because frankly, this team does not have a good history of quarterbacks, you know, in, you know, Jay Cutler holds just about all the records passing. He took those all from Sid Luckman, someone that was playing before just about anyone that's probably listening to this was born. Um, <laughs> you know, so those were records from a long, long time ago. And even when Jay Cutler was here, who's arguably this team's best quarterback and statistically is definitely this franchise's best quarterback, people had so much criticism for him, both nationally and locally for what he did. You know, the quarterback position just comes with a large amount of criticism. Mm -hmm. Look, you know, with Mitchell Trubisky, he has been scapegoated 100%. You're right. Last year, there's a bad offensive line. That doesn't help at all. And then in his second year, he had a new coach, a new offensive coordinator. And then his rookie season, he had John Fox and that whole Which I don't blame him whatsoever for. No good wide receivers. He didn't have a chance to succeed. Not a chance in hell. At the same time, at the same time, there were definitely moments last year where Mitchell Trubisky did cost the team games, where if he just played at an average level, if he made some simple passes, if he had some decent decision-making, the team would have won more games. It probably would have been a playoff team. You know, like you said, there's like a couple games. They win the game against the Chargers. They win a game, the game against the Eagles, which they probably should have won. The Packers um, week one. The Packers the second time we played them. Two close games where if we had a little bit better quarterback play, we would have smoked the Packers. Yeah. So that easily makes the Bears a playoff team last year. Now, with that being said, I think that the national media, went, when the Bears decided to go get Nick Foles, I think they just kind of saw that as that Foles was literally a decent enough candidate. They felt that like he would automatically just take the position from Trubisky. That like the Bears team would just automatically throw all their support behind him because that's just how much 
the Bears had outed Trubisky. And I think that the mm-hmm. national media didn't really kind of quite understand what was going on here. I know Pace and, you know, other members of the Bears have kind of been wishy-washy on exactly, you know, what they're going to do with Mitch. I know, what well, I think it was early on in January of uh, of this year. So January 2020, you know, Pace said, you know, Mitch is our quarterback and he's going to be starting like next year. And then, you know, what, it's a couple months later, they go out and get Nick Foles and everyone's kind of like, oh, what the hell is going on here? And I think... You know, that was right before the draft. So there was a lot of build, a lot of buzz. And I think people were kind of getting, okay, you know, Nick Foles is going to be the starting quarterback. Now, I mean, with kind of the way this offseason has been, and, you know, you can go back and listen to our podcast, the narrative has changed quite a bit. Where, you know, we didn't get the workouts that we usually had, no mini camp and all that. And it kind of seemed like, you know, to me, that really helped edge Trubisky back in. And it seems like, you know, Foles wasn't really quite able to build that rapport with a lot of the players early on like he maybe would have had the chance if there were OTAs, if there were other drills. And, you know, Trubisky just kind of holds in favor because he's been around, he's been used to it, the players know him, and, you know, he maybe is still more of that leader figure. So I think that, you know, the people, maybe the people initially had the change would have changed their minds like we did. You know, I think we thought that Foles was a shoe-in as well. But with the way this offseason has gone on, you know, now what we addressed earlier on in this podcast, it seems like Trubisky is probably the stronger candidate, or in your words, it's a 50-50 toss-up. And I am going to disagree with you slightly in the fact that I don't necessarily believe this offseason was an advantage for Nick Foles. What I think is the advantage for wasn't, Trubisky. Not to cut you off, I was saying it was an advantage for Trubisky. That's all okay, I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I I misspoke. I think it's more of an advantage for Nick Foles because of the fact that he knows the uh, he knows the offense. So I mean, it's actually it's again it's kind of a toss up because Trubisky knows the players, Foles knows the offense, right? So Trubisky's not going to have as much time to go through offensive plays in the off season, whereas Nick Foles will probably know these plays like the back of his hand already. Whereas Trubisky though will know his receivers really well, and Foles will have almost no idea about that currently. So. My opinion is that it's pro- it's easier to get used to players than it is to a scheme. So I almost view that this might be actually an advantage for Nick Foles. What I think really helped Trubisky a couple of things. A, which I'm kind of you know pissed about if I'm being honest. There's no national media at these practices. There's no national media at training camp. We couldn't go and see what each quarterback looks like. Right, so it kind of removes right. a lot of pressure off of him, and a pre- pressure on Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy to say that Nick Foles is the backup or whatever. So, because if you know, if it was like last season where we were getting notifications that he was throwing picks once a day at least, which is what was happening these past two years, <laughs> we fans would have been very upset. There would be a lot of questions about it. And when if Mitch was handed the job, or if Mitch was handed the job, then there would have been a huge criticism over Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, even though they probably want him to work out more than anything else. So I think that is kind of what helps him a little bit. Ultimately, though, I mean, again, it's just 50-50. If Trubisky is actually improving and he, he walks into the Bears facility and everyone's like, wow, he is playing. Just He looks like a different player. The way the ball leaves his hand looks different. He's you know, worked on his footwork extensively. If all that is true and mentally he's there, yeah, give Trubisky the starting job. Let's see what he can do on the field. But at this point, I really don't, I really don't know. I We've heard this whole hype about Trubisky last year and maybe it's unfair for me to use that 
against him because it seems like it is slightly different this year and it seems like he actually was really pressing on improving but at the end of the day it's we've seen this before and it didn't work out for us and that's why I think it's a 50-50 Nick Foles definitely has the advantage when it comes to the playbook what I'll say is you know if the advantage that Nick Foles has is the scheme and look, I, I know that Foles has been playing a lot longer than Trubisky has, but Trubisky, this will be his third year under this scheme. Yeah, coordinators mm-hmm. have changed around a little bit, but this is largely Matt Nagy's offense. If he mm-hmm. still doesn't understand it, he's doomed. I mean, he's doomed. Yeah. If he really doesn't understand this playbook still, I mean, come on. I, yeah. I can't. I, you can't cover that up for him anymore. I know that last year they, they really stripped that playbook back a lot for him. And there was a lot going on with him mentally that really impacted, you know, his footwork and his mechanics. Even so much, he was just frazzled come the end of last year. Seems like. But yeah, if it's still if it's still to the point with this whole offseason, if you know, Trubisky should have just been spending not only working on his footwork, improving and trying to improve his knowledge of the game, but if he doesn't know Nagy's playbook inside and out by now, then he's doomed. I'm sorry, I just can't even cover for him anymore. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. If he loses his job once to Nick Foles, that's the end of the Trubisky era in Chicago. If that's from the first day of the season to, you know, midway through the season, that's Trubisky's done here. And we're going to be looking in the draft to hopefully draft a new guy. I mean, I do have hope for Nick Foles. I think that Nick Foles has a huge opportunity here, something that he's never really had before. You know, he's always played on teams that really kind of struggled and some of that is because of him but a lot of the time it wasn't his fault you know and he's also put up really big seasons every once in a while it's hard to really gauge what type of Nick Foles we're going to be getting because we don't really have a comparison for that yet but let's go ahead and you know move on we talk about Trubisky Foles all the time that's the storyline of the offseason I'm really sad that we kind of miss out on some media coverage of these practices but Let's go ahead and move on to another offensive player. 24-7 Sports, they came out with an article saying that David Montgomery is primed for a breakout season. And we talk about, I kind of wanted to talk about why Montgomery is so, you know, highly touted by the NFL. His rookie year, he had just over 1K all-purpose yards, um, and the offense really used him pretty horribly, and he also really only had about 3.3 yards per carry. So there was some things working against him statistically and also just scheme-wise, the offense was using him badly that could have resulted in that. But we came out and we put David Montgomery on one of our breakout candidates list a couple weeks ago. And I think we kind of should expand on why we consider him to be one of the, you know, a really good running back for us, something that we haven't had in a while, right? And in I'm going to set the stage a little bit. In 2020, he faced an abundance of eight-man boxes. Montgomery was was really struggling. He had to get all of the yards pretty much on his own. As I said, there was pretty bad scheme usage of him, but he still got to that 1K all-purpose yards point. I think he had like 900 yards total. He got in the end zone quite a bit. But the main thing for me, at least with Montgomery, is A, his traits. I was a huge fan of him when he was coming out of college. Um, I got to see him in person couple times and he's just one of those players where he's so hard to take down and if you give him you know even the slightest bit of a hole he's able to really get a ton of yards and yards after contact so he's like the perfect build for like a bell cow running back and I really believe that if this offense 
can be just average. That's all we need, just average with the passing game. He's going to have a huge season. He, he's going to have a huge season. And not only is he a really good bell cow running back, but he is a good receiver. He's not the fastest guy, but he's a really good receiver. So you can, you know, make some money with him on go routes and, you know, a little, if you're getting blitzed or whatever, he can take the ball. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I'm excited for David Montgomery this year. Yeah, no, I am too. And, and I think, you know, you brought up a lot of good points and, you know, his biggest drawback is his speed. And it's not like he's unbelievably slow. You know, he's not going to bust off. He might bust off some pretty big runs. He might get chased down, which isn't the end of the world. But, you know, if if Montgomery is able to get, like, some holes that he's able to hit with some confidence, it's going to do him wonders. I mean, Montgomery is someone that can consistently break off for you, like, five, six-yard runs, which is almost perfect, you mm-hmm. know? It's great to have the home run threat that can go out there and, you know, break off that 30 or that 40 yard run that's amazing but at the same time Montgomery is someone that can absolutely move the chains be that bell cow running back like you were saying and I think last year mainly where he struggled at times and probably bought brought his average down a good bit was because that line was not opening up any holes for Mm -hmm. him so he had to hesitate and wasn't really able to hit um you know really keep his momentum keep his speed up you know like you said he's someone that's really hard to bring down loves to fall forward so if he's able to hit you know, holes with some power, um, you know, the Bears are able to open up some gaps for him, then he'll be able to absolutely just break off some really nice, you know, you know, moderate runs for this team. And that's going to be, you know, he'll set up the play action. And, you know, also, like you said, in the screen game, he can also be used. And, you know, he's really not even an awful pass blocker either. He's not elite, mm-hmm. but he's pretty good. So he has basically everything that you want. Like you said, great traits guy. And, you know, honestly, for last year, with some stacked boxes, eight-man boxes, like you said, um, with all that, basically everything going against him, an offensive line that wasn't open open anything up for him, a thousand, you know, all-purpose isn't amazing, but it's still really good given the circumstances. Yeah, and I agree with you as to that. I mean, I would like to see him get more involved in the passing game. Most of his yards came from the running game, and his average yards per carry were you know fairly low they're actually about the same with Jordan Howard but the key thing I want you guys to realize the difference between David Montgomery and Jordan Howard is David Montgomery he doesn't have the high-end speed as some like you know absolutely extremely fast running backs like Matt Breida you know guys who really are just like these home run threats but he is still very quick and very explosive so he can really you know have good bursts to the line of scrimmage. Whereas that's what we were missing with Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard, he didn't have that. He was very slow and he wasn't quick either. He wasn't twitchy, he wasn't quick. He was a very slow, you know, power back, essentially. And with David Montgomery, I mean, he really reached essentially the same numbers that Jordan Howard did in the last year we had with him. But David Montgomery did so completely on his own. Jordan Howard had a top 10 offensive line unit that year that was able to provide that for him with David Montgomery. I'm just, I'm excited if we can get this offensive line to be even, you know, marginally better. There's just so many times where he was handed the ball and he'd have nothing to do. And now there are some, a couple of things that you can put on David Montgomery. Maybe he sometimes would try to be a little too fancy and use his twitching ability to really, you know, get try to get guys off of him when he should have just fallen forward and gotten a couple extra yards but 
at the end of the day, when anybody saw him play, you were just able to see how hard he was able to take down. And he had some really, really nice highlights last year. Um, so I'm hoping that he can build on top of those. And I can absolutely see why people like him as a potential breakout candidate this year. Yeah, I'd really like to see him get more chances. He had, he had a few, and you know sometimes he wasn't able to quite capitalize on them, so that's his fault. But I'd love to see him get more chances on the goal line. You know, he's mm-hmm. someone that really should be punching, punching in the ball and getting you a lot of touchdowns. You know, yeah. so I, I'd really like to see him get in the end zone more, even if it's just you know one to two yard, you know, dives up the middle. You know, that's going to get him a, a couple extra touchdowns. Those are important, and you know. The Bears are a team that struggled so mightily in the red zone last year. Getting you know more production out of him in the red zone in general and then along the goal line would be massive. It would be absolutely huge. And I think we estimated uh, both of our you know projections for David Montgomery. They were probably around, you know, we had the bold take that he might get over 2,000 all-purpose. That was in our bold take segment. That's not our expectations for him. I think that we both kind of set the meter at about 1,500 all-purpose yards. And I, Reese, I believe you said yeah. that you expected him to get about 1,200 actually rushing yards next season as well. Yeah. And I can absolutely see that. I I don't think I that's ho- unrealistic. Yeah, I'd hope so. I mean, that's, I think with, you know, if uh, Juan Castillo can get get some better run schemes in there and get some better run blocking from I think it's definitely manageable and yeah about 1500 all-purpose sounds sounds about right and I think would be an excellent season for him absolutely absolutely so let's move on to our or actually not our final topic let's move on to players the Bears should consider signing and we talk a lot about you know players that might leave the Bears, players who we might be able to trade. But let's actually talk about some players that we could get in the door this offseason that will really shape this team into having a better opportunity for success next year. And we both came up with a list of three that seems to be, we each you know, tend to do about three players because it seems like those are the, you know, the, the top guys, really the top guys, anything more than three from each of us, like six players is kind of s- stretching, you right. know, kind of going beyond what's probably possible. So we have three players, um, each of us. Reese, why don't you give us your, you know, your first player? My first player was uh, Tony Jefferson, and this might seem kind of like a, I don't know, a null like pickup, not, not really necessarily needed because, you know, he is a strong safety in the book. The Bears did pick up uh, Treshawn Gibson. So obviously I don't think Tony Jefferson would start. But at the same time, I think if, you know, what has gone on with all the opt-outs and which is how weird this year has been already, I think having depth is going to be a huge key to this uh, NFL season. And the Bears are absolutely loaded on defense. Perhaps the only place where they could use a little bit more depth is at that strong safety position. I know that they have uh, Dion Bush, who can kind of uh, kind of play both safety positions. He can fill in for either Eddie Jackson or Trishon if they were to go down. But I think picking up Tony Jefferson would give some extra veteran experience. Um, you know, he's someone that has experience playing in the NFC North, and you know, he's a quality player that I think the Bears could pick up for a reasonable contract as he's still out on the market. Yeah, Tony Jefferson is someone who I also like 
as a potential future player for us as well. I believe he is a little bit younger than Treshawn Gibson, maybe three or four years. And he's someone who's played at a pretty decent level um, so far throughout his career and could potentially lead to some long-term stability at that strong safety position if we don't decide to go in the draft. So having a second option there and kind of being able to, you know, change them in and out, I'd be very excited for. I'm not a huge fan of Deion Bush. I think that he's played well, you know, in limited circumstances, but ultimately I'd probably rather see us, you know, either add a guy in the future in free agency or through the draft. So Tony Jefferson, I'd be absolutely down for that, especially with a season that we're probably going to see a lot of backups playing uh, due to this whole coronavirus situation. And then, hey, we, we don't really talk about this either, but with limited training time, we're probably going to see an increase in injuries as well with players. So I can can absolutely see that um, adding Tony Jefferson would be a potential benefit for the Chicago Bears. My first player that I have is someone who I actually really, really, really hope the Chicago Bears sign. That's Devontae Freeman. He is the running back for the Atlanta Falcons or was the running back for the Atlanta Falcons. He's struggled with some injury issues that ultimately led to him being released from the team. Um, But as far as Devonta Freeman goes, he's someone who would be an extremely good in-between for David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen. He's a bigger built dude, but he's also very fast. And he's had a lot of high-level seasons. He's almost the perfect back for us in Chicago to go in-between Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery. Now, he would also provide us, or I think that the Chicago Bears could provide him with an opportunity to lower his snap count, something he didn't have as much when he was in Atlanta, and kind of give him an opportunity to, you know, he would be more of our home run threat He with the added ability of, you know, obviously having some, you know, bigger size, able to break some more tackles than someone like Tariq Cohen, um, and it would just be, I think, a home run signing for the Chicago Bears. I think I'd really like that signing the most for what it could do for Tariq, actually. I, I think that bringing in Devonta Free, Freeman could, you know, like you said, it's the perfect middle ground. And I think Tariq is good to get a couple carries here and there, maybe four or five a game optimally. Um, but, you know, hopefully it'll allow him to play out of the slot more, be used, maybe motion in and out, you know, from that slot into the backfield more. And you could also keep someone like Devonta Freeman back there um, who still keeps the defenses wary. Probably is a little bit more of a run threat and defenses are scared about him even still running in between the tackles or even busting it out wide. So I think that it could actually just add a lot more variability to the offense and really open things up a bit more. And, you know, it's not something we see in the NFL, you know, too commonly these days, but having a two running back set with him and Montgomery back there would be pretty pretty brutal. I mean, that'd be a big task for any team's linebackers that have to try to keep, you know, keep both of them, you know, in their eyesights and have to account for them. And if you look at the way NFL defenses have really adjusted, so many teams have started adding so much, you know, money to their backfields and their pass rush and everything like that, that the art of defending the run is becoming more and more forgotten, you know, and I think we saw that this year with the 49ers, uh, the Tennessee Titans, and then also um, the, obviously the Baltimore Ravens, they all have very enhanced and good running units, and they were able to be a highly effective offense. Now, this is kind of a regression of what we saw previously, but having a really balanced team is of the highest importance right now in the NFL. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, we kind of had a period, I'd say, you know, three years ago where it seemed like the run game just disappeared. And yeah, I think it definitely led to, you know, right, edge rushers became immensely valuable and teams are more concerned about sacking the quarterback than ever. And and, and for good reason, teams are still passing Mm -hmm. the ball a lot. But right, I mean, what we saw with Tennessee over last year, it just seems like people just did not know how to defend a, a zone running scheme, and B, someone like Derrick Henry running the football. They just yeah. they had no business even stopping it, didn't know how to stop it, which, you know, if you would have brought that up, you know, 15 years ago, people would be shocked that that could happen. But it just shows you how much this NFL game has changed. But like you said, having a good balance is more important than ever. You know, if you're able to run the ball effectively and also pass the ball effectively, you have the defense right where you want them. They're always going to be on their heels. And no matter even if you're losing a game, you know, you can come back and still use the balanced offense to, uh, you know, come back. Or, you know, if you're winning a game, you can manage it very well by using a good mix of running and passing to drain the clock and also keep moving the chains. And one last statement before you go ahead and give us your second player, Reese, I want to mention is I'm really excited to see how Bill Lazor uses David Montgomery as well, because he he used Joe Mixon pretty damn well. I mean, he got Joe Mixon over a thousand yards in his first two years, both of them. So I'm just excited to see that as well. And I think even adding someone like a Devontae Freeman could take a ton of pressure off of our other running backs. Tariq Cohen, I really only want to see him in a role where you play him when you want to play him, not when you have to play him. You know what I'm right. saying? And I think that he was used a little bit too much as a, you know, I have to play him type of player last year. Yeah, no, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So yeah, I'll move on to my next player, which is Eric Reed. So, you know, to Tony Ooh. Jefferson and with Eric Reed, it's kind of like my 1A, 1B, as far as like you could probably sign either one of them. You don't really need to sign them both. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Reed, someone that, you know, notably most recently played for the 49ers. I believe he was on Carolina last year. Just once again, kind of reiterating a little bit of the same points, just to get some more depth there on the back end. You know, the Bears are really stacked up at that corner position, and they have two great starters at safety. But, you know, you feel like injuries are going to happen this year and they're going to persist. And, you know, having someone back there that, you know, if they need to start, isn't going to feel that extra pressure. Don't really have to rely on someone like Deion Bush. Eric Reed could certainly jump in and, you know, really help carry that load and maybe even ease and ease people's minds as to not really having a liability there on the back end. I mean, he's going to be responsible and he's going to do what he needs to do. And you're not really going to have to worry about him in coverage. He's also not a bad tackler either. Yeah, absolutely. And I could, you know, again, reiterating everything I said before, I understand the desire to have more depth on the team. Um, and that's really the the big benefit of signing someone like Eric Reed, uh, of course. But Another player that I would probably say, and I think it's would be a really good signing for us, is Josh Klein, guard for the Minnesota Vikings last year. Um, he's obviously a pretty high-quality player and someone that the Minnesota Vikings are certainly going to miss this year. Having him just as you know a good safety option as our guard, I mean, he would probably, I would assume he'd beat out Jermaine Effetti, but the Bears are just betting too much on Jermaine Effetti for me, for my preferences this year. So I would like that, to see them bring in a more you know, veteran option, someone that we can trust a little bit better. I think Josh Klein is the perfect player to do that. I believe he's like 29 or 30. So he's still pretty young for an offensive guard. And I think we just add an abundance of consistency to this offensive line or worst comes to worst, add more, you know, depth to the line. Yeah. Yeah. I think with, you know, offensive linemen, 
sometimes a chain of scene, change of scenery can really help them a lot and they can kind of get a, uh, a boost in their career. You can see something that you haven't seen. I know with the bears and a Fetty, you know, there's a lot of hope that, you know, moving him back to that guard position is really help boost his play. And hopefully the coach and Juan Castillo will only, you know, only, you know, advance that further. At the same time, you know, getting someone more proven like Klein, I would not be against that one bit. I'm with you on the case. I feel like we're banking a lot on a Fetty just based solely on that he's someone that's new, right? You know, he's not someone that, you know, you would target and be like, oh, yeah, he's going to be a huge improvement right out of the box. It's just, mm. it seems like people are kind of banking on him just because, oh, yeah, we haven't seen him, so we don't really know that he's going to struggle in this way or that way yet. You know, and, and maybe we're he betting will... a lot on his traits and his position change. Yeah, exactly. Which you know, maybe it will work out. You know, and it's, it's tough to keep your eyes away from the traits because when you see a lot of things that you want to see but just not really working out, you feel like you can kind of coach coach that into him. But yeah, I think picking up Klein and kind of bringing that, a little bit more steadiness to that offensive line is something you cannot argue against. So my last player that I had is someone that we talked about last week as far as replacing Eddie Goldman, and that is Damon Harrison or Snacks Harrison. Um, I think that, honestly, it's just the perfect drop-in fit for replacing Eddie Goldman, Uh, someone that, like you said, it's difficult these days with defensive tackles because you do have the differences in what you want to see with 4-3 and 3-4 defensive tackles. And he would be able to slip right, at, right in on this defense into that 3-4 and, you know, provide a steady force. I mean, he's someone that the Bears are quite familiar with dealing, you know, as he, you know, was a divisional foe for many years. So I think that they could really benefit from bringing him in and, you know, having him along with Hicks and Roy Roberts and Harris and then your edge rushers of Quinn and Mac. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and I truthfully don't understand why the Bears have not made this move yet. It seems like one of the most obvious moves that the Bears should make this offseason unless he's somehow considering opting out or we just they just don't know what they're, you know, what's going on with him in some regard, which I can understand that. But Damon Harrison, he's obviously a high quality defensive tackle. Not as good as Eddie Goldman, of course, but he definitely provides something that this Bears team does not have currently. I was a little bit jealous when you told me that he was going to be on your list. Uh, I wanted to put him on my list, but again, another home run signing. I think him and um, shit. Hold on. I think that him and Devonte Freeman are both obvious and just obvious, obvious signings that we should make going into next year. So I'm gonna go into my last player, someone who comes with you know a decent amount of baggage. You can argue though if he deserves that label. Josh Gordon, I I think that there is probably no better team for Josh Gordon in the NFL right now besides the Chicago Bears. You know, Josh Gordon, what comes with him is tons of production, very talented player, but someone who can never stay on the field, not because of injuries, but because of his addiction problems, a lot of which came from marijuana, which has now been, you know, it's been legalized almost everywhere in the United States, but has been, is not going to be tested for in the NFL anymore. So we won't have to worry about his suspensions in that regard. And, you know, as Josh Gordon goes, he's a, like, people may make their judgments on him about, you know, 
being suspended a lot of the time and what does that mean if does he not value football that he can't you know do this or that and you know addiction is obviously like a mental health issue so I urge everyone to be you know kind to Josh Gordon in that regard but besides that um and you and people can argue all they want whether or not they believe you know weed is good bad whatever whatever right but at the end of the day Josh Gordon is a really good person he's always someone that seems to have tried uh, to improve his life and someone who you know has obviously failed a lot that tends to be the you know a common thing when it comes to addiction with people and you know players is it's it's not easy it's a you know it's a, something that he's gonna have to live with for the rest of his life and you know now that it's legal I mean in the NFL at least I don't see a reason why the Bears shouldn't offer him a contract him with Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller just seems like a home run trio for this team I mean we'd probably it wouldn't surprise me if that trio could have meant could amount thousand yards each of them last time that was done was in like 2013 or so with the Cardinals yeah yeah I mean Josh Gordon I mean I think a lot of people it's been a while since he's been playing at his peak form you know he played he played his best football with the Browns, and which is saying a lot because at that time he was catching passes from some of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Um, he is a dominant force. I mean, he was an elite wide receiver, and he still has a lot of that talent now. And you know, a lot of it has just been masked by having to sit out seasons and also mm-hmm. getting suspensions within the seasons. But he is someone that has plenty of talent. So I definitely understand that. I think that the Bears could, you know, if the Bears had three very solid wide receivers, this, you know, it'd be a lot for defenses to handle and it would only help out whoever is going to end up being the starting quarterback, be that Foles or Trubisky. Yeah, I mean, try telling a defense to cover Anthony Miller, Allen Robinson, and Josh Gordon. And I feel like in a way, those three also complement each other. They're not all similar wide receivers. They have different traits. They could be a little bit more dynamic from each other, But at the same time, that's a lot for defenses to have to handle and account for. So I think Josh Gordon, I'm with you. I mean, I think, you know, his, I guess, perceived character flaws, now they're basically, you know, it doesn't really matter with the point because what he's been suspended for in the past, he can't really be suspended for anymore. So, yeah, I have no qualms with bringing in Josh Gordon. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things where I don't know if the Bears organization would like to do that because they people who, you know, they like to stand on the hill of bringing in quality, you know, character players. And personally, I wouldn't even attribute a bad character to Josh Gordon, but I understand the idea of him maybe not being the best teammate because he allows certain things to, you know, get ahead of him or whatever. I understand that in a way. But still, if I was a GM, I would be trying to bring in Josh Gordon if I was a Chicago Bears GM, for sure. Um, but let's go ahead and move on. We talked about players now that we sign that are currently available in free agency, but something we don't talk about very often is players that the Chicago Bears should consider trading for. Trading for. So um, we both, again, three players each, we, we came up with this list, and uh, I think each one of them have a specific value that they'd bring to this team so Reese go ahead and start us off yeah well actually I just have two players trade wise but um I have a pair of wide receivers I'll start that off with uh, (laughs) I'll start that off with Will Fuller so I think that 
you know, there's kind of been talks with the Texans, and I think he is up for a contract after this season. And we know how things have gone with wide receivers and that Houston Texas organization, or the Houston Texans organization. You know, DeAndre Hopkins was let go for absolutely nothing. Uh, and he is definitely one of the top three receivers in the league, if not the best. And Will Fuller has a chance to get out of there, possibly on a trade before his contract year comes up. And I think that Will Fuller would bring uh, a sort of receiving to this team that we don't really have. I mean, he is unbelievably explosive. He is a great deep threat. I think that Anthony Miller has stretched the field at times, but I don't think he even you know, is in quite the same realm as Will Fuller as someone he can just burn you with his speed. And I think bringing that into this Bears offense would really would really bring some excitement and some variability, some changes. And it's just something, you know, when's the last time we've really seen the Bears hit a deep pass? I think some of that's gone with, you know, maybe mm-hmm. Trubisky's quarterback play. But maybe some of it's also, too, not really getting great free releases down the field. Yeah, and I agree with you. Will Fuller is probably one of the top players I would like us to trade for. He is really the epitome of what we need in our wide receiver too, which is a player that is extremely good downfield, but also has you know good enough route running abilities that he can play all over the field. And I think that we had that in a way with Taylor Gabriel, but he was just like... A, he had the traits we desired, but he just wasn't able to really use them to make the Bears the best team that they could be. And that's why I think we ultimately ended up moving on from him. But someone like Will Fuller, someone who's definitely you know advanced um, beyond what, uh, definitely something that's advanced beyond what Taylor Gabriel ever has probably in his career. And absolutely, I think if we trade for him, that'd be a home run pick. Now, I'll move on to mine. My first player is OJ Howard from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was someone who came out with a lot of expectations out of college, but has yet to really live up to any of them. But someone who's a very talented, talented tight end. And tight ends, they can take a very long time to develop with all the offensive firepower that the Tampa Bay Bucks have. And then having, you know, Rob Gronkowski now, Cameron Brait, players who have, you know, been very, they've been very good so far in their career. Cameron Brait, obviously less than Rob Gronkowski, but they have, um, it seems like they've been kind of looking to trade OJ Howard and you know, the bears brought in a ton of, they spent a ton of draft capital, ton of money on the tight end position this year, but why not round out the class by adding someone who has a ton of talent and can maybe play a similar position to what Jimmy Graham is going to play for us. Um, in the future beyond Jimmy Graham. I'm a big fan. I was a big fan of OJ Howard coming out of college and I believe in him. I truthfully believe in him and I think he could really round out this tight end core. Well, this was a trade that we were calling for a long time ago. I want to say like around draft time when there were a lot of rumors about OJ Howard swirling around. And I think Cameron Brait is also one too. I I mean, he could honestly be a a trade target, but we'll focus on on OJ Howard. I think OJ Howard, like you said, has some potential that he hasn't quite lived up to yet. But there's a lot to like with his play. And I think on this Bears team, living past Jimmy Graham, kind of taking over what Jimmy Graham is supposed to be, I think mean, he's a better option than Jimmy Graham. Um, you know, he brings some great pass catching skills, and honestly, he's probably a lot better blocking than uh, Jimmy Graham would be. Not that we necessarily always need him to be blocking. But I think that O.J. Howard, 
what, he was an Alabama player yes. in college, I want to say. Yeah, I mean, even just remember how dynamic he was. I mean, it seems like he could even run go routes and be dominating defensive backs with deep balls. I mean, he's someone that has wide receiver kind of skills at that tight end position, which we have been seeing more and more in the NFL. But, I mean, he has, like, elite skill, which, you know, if the Bears were able to tap into and utilize, would be an excellent and phenomenal tool, especially with how important tight ends are in Nagy's offense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, like I said, my second and final trade target is also another wide receiver, and that is Cooper Cup from the Rams. You know, I feel like there's been, maybe been a little bit of rumor surrounding him, but I also just feel like he would be another interesting you know, wide receiver to bring into the fold. You know, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what, I don't know. With Cooper Cup, I've never been like in love with him as, as like a receiver as like someone to bring in but mm-hmm. I think he has some really good traits I don't think there's anything that he's absolutely dominant as he's kind of a little bit of a jack of all trades a very solid route runner I think he can be a threat down the field and is utilized very well by um why am I blinking on that coach's name I don't know yeah and the Rams Sean McVay Sean McVay is utilized very well and Sean McVay has really come alive under McVay's offense um, you know, I think a lot of people put Nagy maybe in a little bit of a similar um, offensive genius mind, or at least that's what the Chicago Bears mm-hmm. love to pitch uh, Matt Nagy as. So if Nagy could get his uh, his own hands on Cooper Cup, I think he could utilize him well within this offense. And, you know, obviously the Bears, if they went out and got Cooper Cup, I don't think they'd end up bringing in someone like Will Fuller. So, you know, the wide receiver trio of Anthony Miller, Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup, I think is also pretty dynamic. I think I would take Will Fuller over Cooper Cup, but I think he'd be an interesting option. Cooper Cup has definitely been a very productive wide receiver so far throughout his NFL career. But the one thing I'd worry about bringing him in is A, his contract, he's going to want a massive contract. And B, I think he might be a little bit too, you know, multiple with a player like Anthony Miller who they have kind of similar skill sets and that's the one reason why I might stray away from making that trade is just the contract he would get and then the fact that we already have a player like Anthony Miller who I'm confident in having a big season next year Um, but for my my second player that I think the Bears again should definitely maybe at least try to trade for is Brandon Scherf with the Washington football team. Uh, That's kind of weird saying that, but um, sounds like I forgot the name of a football team, which is kind of, you know, kind of weird. But Brandon Scherf, he's been an extremely high level offensive guard and someone that he's currently on a, a franchise tag, I believe. And he's on, you know, obviously the football team, the Washington football team, which is not a good football team either. Um, So just maybe bringing him in and, you know, I think the football team, (laughs) Washington football team would probably be interested in trading him away, getting some value, maybe send them, you know, a third round pick in the future and some more. Um, But he's obviously a really talented player from Iowa, believe it or not, University of Iowa. They do a really good job in developing their offensive linemen there. Um, And someone who would really add an abundance of stability to this offensive line, it might actually take them from you know, one of the worst last year to one of the best in the league this year. Because I mean, look at, obviously he's not to the same degree as Quentin Nelson, but look what a high quality offensive guard can really do for an offensive line. When it, The offensive line is one of those units where 
if you have one missing, it really screws up the rest of the unit. And I think that's what happened to the Bears last year is missing Kyle Long, having a bad season out of Kyle Long even before that. It's just the offensive line was really messed up because of that. So bringing Brandon Scherf, I think, would be a home run move. I think you bring in Brandon Scherf. I think him and Whitehair are automatically you're just your best offensive lineman, 100%. Yeah. And I'd say that with with some real confidence. I, he would be a real boost up, and he would be of a higher quality than people that are already there. And he'd probably be a leader amongst that offensive line as well. So I think that you know bringing him in would probably do this offensive line wonders. And I think it's a move that the Bears have been kind of having to make. I, I think the fact that they've neglected – the offensive line to the extent that they have has been disappointing. I know we really wanted them to go out there and get Warford, and which is kind of a mood po- moot point now because he decided to opt out the season. So it wouldn't have necessarily helped the Bears, but we wanted them to go out there and pick up Warford. They didn't go out and do that. you know. And we mentioned earlier, basically their only major move was picking up a, uh, Jermaine Effetti. You know, which isn't that notable a move. And honestly, this is a Bears team that they do need a notable move along the offensive line and uh, along the offensive line, you know, and the interior too. I mean, our tackle situation a little bit more stable, but man, I mean, I think bringing in Scherf would be a, a game changer for them. Yeah, and you know, I. I got to be honest, I think that if they did bring him in, this would be a much better offensive line than they even had in 2018. I mean, think about the front three you got right there. You got, you know, you got Cody Whitehair at center, James Daniels at guard, and then you bring in Brandon Scherf. I mean, that's a, that is a home run front three. James Daniels had a pretty decent two years when he's not playing the center position. When he plays the guard position, he's very, very good. Um, And then you have, you know, Cody, you have, I'm sorry, uh, Charles Leno Jr. Charles Leno. On, yeah. on, at, at left, ta- left tackle and Bobby Massey at right tackle. I mean, that is a good unit. Say what you want about the tackles, but they're good enough. They're above average tackles. So, I mean, this would be a really well, good that, unit. Yeah. That interior is good enough to at least massively improve the run blocking to start. And the tackles, I mean, sure, they might be going up a little bit of edge pressure, but no offensive line in the league is perfect at all. Mm-hmm. I mean... Having three out of five offensive linemen be more than capable at their position, and then have your tackles not really be a liability, you know, have yeah, them be pretty accurately for the good. show, and you yeah, only brought two players to trade for. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, but John, I, the la- the last player that I just I was quite clear in my of, communication you know, of that. But right at the end of when we were planning this podcast was John Ross. You know, a guy that was drafted extremely highly, he played at Washington and uh, he kind of so far has been very disappointing throughout his career, but someone who currently holds the 40-yard dash record, a very speedy player, and someone who is has, you know, grown into becoming a more precise route runner in different aspects of his game. I would love for the Chicago Bears to trade for him because I think that there's something in him that the Bengals just aren't getting out of him. I wasn't a fan of the pick, but I think in his own regard, he can become a good number two wide receiver, like a really good wide two, you know, a really good wide receiver too. Um, kind of have him in the mold of like Chris Godwin or something. I think he could very well become a high level player and something again, we definitely need. I know Reese, both of your players were wide receivers and it makes sense why. Yeah, I, and I agree with this one too. I mean, honestly, it's probably the most attainable 
of them all, I would say, to be able to yeah. go out there and get John Ross, even though he had a very high um, draft. I mean, I think it was a top 10 pick, or at least yeah, a high first round pick. Um, so you'd think it'd be harder to obtain him, but someone that hasn't quite lived up to all the expectations, like you said, though, it can be tough to get you get caught up in traits, and sometimes it can be dangerous, but. How do you not like that speed, and you know how would how do you not like what that would bring to this offense? I mean, we talked about you know what Will Fuller would bring. This would definitely be the uh, the kind of very comparable uh, comparison to him as far as what exactly traits wise uh, Will Fuller would bring would be very similar to what John Ross would bring, and even faster, honestly, just not quite the refinement that Will Fuller has. So. You know, with some good coaching, and honestly, who better to teach him some good route running than someone like Allen Robinson, who's a fantastic route runner. Mm-hmm. You have uh, some personnel on the team that can really teach him teach him right. So, you know, I would say why not go out there and get someone like John Ross? I think you can get him for a not-so-crazy price tag and bring in some some real excellent talent and something that this offense needs to, to really open up the field a little bit. I think... You know, the Bears really played a very condensed field, a very timid field last year. And to be able to open up and throw the ball over the tops of some of those DBs would be very refreshing for this team. Yeah, it'd be very, very nice. And again, attainable. I think a lot of these guys are pretty obtainable. Um, it's uh, it's going to be, I think we kind of hit on the idea throughout the entire last part of this show that, hey, we probably need to add a wide receiver. We probably need to add an offensive lineman to get some really high quality offensive play. And this seems to be a consistent, you know, message throughout our show is that that is what we need. We definitely need to improve in those regards. And But thank you guys so much for joining in to another episode of the Bear Necessities Podcast. Remember, if you've made it this far, please leave us a rating and review in the bottom of Apple Podcasts. That helps us out tremendously. And we thank you for listening to this hour and 15-minute show, um, definitely longer than we tend to have shows for. Um, So thank you guys so much, and bear down.